Hey everyone, welcome to the Made It in Music podcast. I'm Riley Taylor, our community manager here at Full Circle Music, and I'm so excited for you to hear this upcoming episode because today I sat down with Seth Mosley to discuss demo production for dummies. This was recorded along with our live online audience from our Song Chasers community. You can learn more about Song Chasers at joinsongchasers.com. For now, let's dive into the episode. We got demo production for dummies. And before we jump into this, I want to say that you're not a dummy. We just kind of like that title. <laughs> it was a little play off of the book. Um, but yes, as we've talked about uh, this month in Song Chasers, has all been, been all about demo production. And I probably sound like a broken record. I feel like I repeat myself so much, but it, I just, it, it bears repeating that the demo is the way that you sell your song as a songwriter. There is no better way to have your song be set up for success, whether that means getting cut or whether that means you releasing it yourself. There's no better way to set yourself up for success with that than having a great demo. Um, a great publisher can't do anything without great demos. Uh, a great, um, you know, songwriter can't do anything without great demos. There's no industry person or manager or agent who can do anything without great demos. That's where it all starts. Obviously it starts with the songs and then having a really, really great demo. Now I do want to clarify before we jump in. Um, I've gotten a lot of questions in song chasers. Okay. Well, what's the difference between, a demo and a master. Like when does something move from demo stage and when do you call it a master? Nowadays, the lines have gotten very blurry on that. And it's not so much about quality as it is about the context. Um, yes, that you generally want master quality to be the best of the best. And generally it's going to step up from, from where a demo is, but you always want to be making a demo as if it could be released just like that. Because in fact, that does happen a lot, but it's all about context. Um, the context is essentially when somebody decides to put something out for commercial exploitation, which means on Spotify, on iTunes, on a physical CD, on a vinyl, on YouTube technically is a commercial place. Facebook is, is monetizing songs. Now, anytime there's a song that's up for commercial monetization, that's not just posted on SoundCloud or Dropbox or Google drive, but is available for public consumption and streaming, then you call it a master. It's not so much about the quality level, although you do want to be making sure that you keep a very high quality control when you put out a quote unquote master. And that's where you can kind of use this group as a testing ground a little bit. You can share songs. Um, if you're in the music production mastery group, you can bounce ideas off of X just to see, okay, well, how can I make this thing sound better before I decide to actually put it out? You can talk to other writers in the group and get, get their feedback and, 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 and improve to the, to the point where you're super, super proud of it. Cause as um, Isabel said in, uh, I think our last session, once it's out online, it's out. Like you don't take it down. Um, you, you technically can take it down from Spotify, but you, you really want to treat it as like, Hey, once something's out, it's out and we can't really take it back. So we want to think about our quality in terms of, um, what's something that I would be proud of still having on the internet 20 years from now. And so that's, you know, 
the songwriting that's is this something that you feel is authentic to you and then of course the production and the demo so so that's a little bit of semantics out of the way on the front end so the demo essentially is for the purpose of playing for people who might get interested in it to potentially record it that's what the demo stands for demonstration recording it's it's a it's a demonstration of what the song could be and now as technology has improved over the years um the demos have have improved dramatically and they've had to because the quality has been been the, the quality that you can crank out with a laptop and a decent little mic and a, a small little interface it's it's amazing compared to even when I start when I started doing this, uh, I got my first job in a studio in 2005. The technology even then was not what it is today. The plugins didn't sound nearly as good. The converters didn't sound nearly as good. The affordability was, it, you know, you had to spend a lot of money to get a computer that would even handle um, a, a Pro Tools session or a Logic session. Um, they've just made the DAWs like Pro Tools, Logic, Ableton, they've made them so user-friendly now and so easy now that the bar is much lower than it used to be. So that's why like the, the, the gap between demo and master has closed. Like it used to be like way, way far. And people in Nashville would actually like hire musicians and demo producers to like go into a studio for a day and cut like 10 songs, like cut with a full live band. And that was their demo of the song. And there is still a little bit of that that happens, but it's it's a little more of an old school way of doing things. And often the demos end up sounding old school and don't get cut because of that. So nowadays the demo largely is created in the writing room. Um, during a co-write, many of y'all already know this, but I'm just gonna throw it out there just for the, for, for, for the sake of clarity. There's always usually somebody, or at least in the best case scenario, there's somebody who's responsible for the demo. And usually um, that's why that person will be invited into a write. And, and, and you might say, well, why, why are they getting a percentage of the songwriting if they're just doing the production side of things? Well, nowadays, that's a huge part of getting a song cut. So it makes sense to cut in a track person or a demo person, uh, a producer as a co-writer on the song, rather than just going and hiring uh, a demo producer all the time, which could get very expensive. Um, Kim, this is a great question. What is a cut? A cut is basically when a song gets recorded for commercial release or exploitation by some artist. So to put it out to Spotify, to put it out to iTunes, to put it on a CD, however they decide to release it, that's a cut. That's technically a cut. It doesn't necessarily mean, mean a radio single, um, but it's it's put out into the world uh, on streaming and everywhere else that music is commercially consumed. So that's a cut. It's a great question. And, and don't hesitate to uh, shout out if you, if you have any questions at all. I don't have a PowerPoint today because I wanted to make this 100% interactive. This is, this is, I want to be as helpful to you as I possibly can today in helping step your demos up to the next level. So if you have a question, please just type it in the chat or uh, raise your hand as we go. Don't, don't be worried about inter interrupting and don't worry, but don't be worried about having a dumb question. There are no dumb questions. This, this literally is uh, for everybody, regardless of where, where you're at in the process. And so, um, yeah, so we talked about the context. We talked about the difference between a demo and a master. 
Um, before we move on, uh, does anybody have any questions on that? Uh, looks like we got a question from Matthew Kent's got his hand raised. Can you unmute yourself, Matthew? Can you hear me? I got you. How you doing, my friend? Excellent. Is can electric guitar be used for a demo? Electric guitar? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. You can use whatever instruments you want for a demo. It's ultimately it can be as simple as having um, an acoustic and a vocal. It can be as simple as having a piano and a vocal, it, or it can be built up with electrics and synths and percussion and loops and all that stuff. So that that's a great question, Matthew. Yeah, again, how simple can a demo be? How yeah. simple can a demo be? Well, let's take, for instance, um, Justin Bieber has that song, uh, Love Yourself. Um, I don't know if you guys know that one, but literally all it is, I'll just play a little bit of it. You can hear it. Let's see. It's, it's literally just electric and vocals. And so that's my guess is this is this probably was the demo. And then I bet they went in and cut like a full track of stuff. And they're like, yeah, screw it. Let's just go back to the demo. I bet that's what happened on this. I don't know that. All the times that you're in all the clubs you get in using my name. It's just an electric and a vocal. Think you broke my heart, oh God, for goodness. Think I'm crying on my own while I'm gay. That, that's literally all, all it is. So, so you can use electric. How, if electric is your main instrument, um, then just doing a, a great clean electric and a vocal like that can, can work really well. Can, can instrumentalists work good too? S say that again. Our, our, can instrumentalists work good in, in what the country industry now? Instru yeah. Country instrumentalists. Yes. Country instrumentalists. So what I would say the best context, if you're a country instrumentalist, would be to become proficient in Pro Tools, in Logic, in Ableton, in one of the DAWs, learn how to record and edit yourself really well and learn some kind of basic mixing. And then you can ultimately become what they call a track guy in the room. So that's ultimately, if you're like an instrumentalist who is, is into country, that's where I would steer you. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go say, Hey, go try to be a session player. Start by learning how to like build tracks and, and learn the DAWs. It's ultimately going to get you in the door on more opportunities and, and get you in the writing room, which is ultimately where you want to be. So that's, that's a great question, Matthew. Thanks, Seth. Yeah, of course. Um, got a question from Isabel. I'm going to go over uh, these questions in the chat after as well. We've got some great questions here. Uh, Isabel, what, what can I, uh, what can we help with today? Um, I'm going down the artist path. And so I don't want to like, you know, chase too many rabbits, um, like you say. Um, so I don't like want to get way too much into producing, but I do want to be like um, able to offer what I'm thinking. Um, so is there anything that you would suggest that I like play around with? So I have logic and I have a MIDI, so I can do quite a bit of producing. I just have to, you know what I mean? Um, so is there anything that you would suggest to make it easier for me to be able to communicate with a producer, to, to make it easier to write with a producer for the producer themselves? Yeah. So, so to, to recap and make sure I'm hearing you correctly, you're, you're the artist, you're not necessarily trying to be the producer, but you want to be able to better communicate with the producer to get the, the end result that you're hearing in your head. 
Yeah, and to be yeah to be able to help the producer like to know like if they say what does this sound to you like then I can be sure sure like yes I love that you know. Okay, I'll give you one really really helpful thing, and producers love this. I love this. Um, it's called using references. So that's where like you becoming a musical encyclopedia and just knowing in your brain like what do you love what are the different categories of what you love what kind of vocal sounds do you like for like that you maybe want to emulate like as an artist what kind of how do you like drums to feel like how do you like guitars to feel what do you like the mix to feel like and that's where like even kind of making your own little um audio lookbook you know that's that's one thing like whenever somebody goes in to do a uh like a photo shoot or like if you're doing like interior design they'll put together like lookbooks like on uh, canva or pinterest or whatever just with some different vibes just to give visual references you can kind of do the same thing with uh with audio and give yourself you give your producer a little bit of an audio lookbook and then you don't have to worry as much about like learning how to communicate EQ and compression and those type of things that stuff comes over time. But in the beginning, you're not expected to know that. And, and many artists I work with who have been doing it for years still don't know that either. Um, putting together, like, like I said, that, that lookbook or that, that sound book or whatever you'd want to call it with those references, that's, what's ultimately going to help your producer um, even before he starts playing anything or even before he starts recording anything or demoing. Cause he's going to get himself in a mind frame of, Oh, she's thinking like more um, Francesca Battistelli and not so much like a Bethel worship thing. Like, you know, th there's, there's, there's no right or wrong. And that's kind of the hard part about being a producer is you could try one thing and it's just not what the artist is hearing, but the, the earlier in the process you can give references, the better. All right, cool. I already do that. So now I just got to amp it up a little bit. Thank you. Thank you. And, 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 don't, and don't be afraid to speak up. Like if you're halfway through the process and you're saying, man, that's super cool. But what if we did this? And then you, you play them a little clip of like, here's, here's how I like the snare to sound. Like people who do that and aren't afraid to speak up, you're going to get what you want more in the end. All right. Thank you. Yeah. And, and ultimately, like you want to find people that you feel safe doing that with. I mean, you because because it can be kind of a um, a vulnerable spot, like when you're creating a demo, when you're creating production, you want to have somebody that's receptive to hear references and things that like, even if it wasn't what they were initially thinking, you want to find people who are like, oh, yeah, let's, that's totally not what I was thinking. But that's awesome. Let's do that. So a lot of the times it's it's that just trying different ones before you find the ones that you click with. So does that make sense, Isabel? Awesome. Great, great question. And I'm going to get to these questions in the chat. First, Petri's got his hand raised here. He's uh, unmuting, looks like. Okay. There we go. Yeah, I need this. <laughs> Sorry, I had it by the speaker there. Uh, quick question, Seth, because I'm pursuing songwriting, right? And uh, I've got a website. I mean, I can publish demos and I'm learning to make a lot better demos. They're actually starting to sound a lot better than before. But where I get stumped is like, what do I do with that? You know, as a songwriter, I'm, I'm in Louisville, which is like three hours from Nashville. There's, a, there's a, not a lot of opportunities here. And Nashville seems like a place where there are gates that are not open just like that. You know, it's like, how does one go about 
I mean, building the library is going well, but it's like, okay, what the heck am I supposed to do with this? You know? Yeah. So, and just to make sure I'm understanding the question correctly, it's you've got this library that you're building, this catalog you're building, but you want to start getting some of these things out there into the world, getting them recorded, getting them cut. But it seems like there's a lot of closed doors. Yeah. I mean, before Song Chasers, I was like an island and uh, I couldn't even tell how to start or where to start. And uh, it's still a good question to me because um, I know that the answers are out there, but uh, sure could use the uh, the word from a professional that uh, knows how those doors work. And to me, it's not about uh, it's not about a selfish pursuit, really. It's about getting these songs into people's hands. That's that's what's driving me here. You know what I mean? It's not so much about me and and that stuff, but I just really yearn to to see some doors open and uh, songs to get some places where people actually hear them and 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 you know can be touched by them yeah that's that's great um that's that's all great petri I'm, I'm thank you for asking it's a great question um there's a do you know do you know of a writer named ashley gorley are you familiar with that name he is in the country world, um, well, probably in any world, but definitely in the country world, the top songwriter commercially of all time. He's just celebrated like 63 number ones, I think. Um, and he just keeps cranking them out as if he never had a number one before. Um, and I was, I was talking to one of the guys that worked for him over the weekend um yeah chelsea ashley's amazing he he is he is amazing and i was just like okay so what's the secret sauce there like because he he didn't always like he didn't have his first number one until he was like i don't know how old he was but it was like 2007 2008 i think um and since then he's been on a tear but for a while he uh you know he was just teaching at belmont you know teaching songwriting at belmont kind of trying to break into the game. So there is a, some point at everybody's story where they're not, they're not getting those cuts just flowing in. And that's what, what I was trying to get to. I was like, okay, so what's, what's the secret sauce with him that keeps him doing so well, but, but ultimately helped him break in and, and on the front end. And the biggest thing that, that, that my friend said was um, he just, he, he looks at everything like a business. He looks at it very strategically. He looks at it as, why would somebody want to record this song? Why, why would I want to set foot in this writing room? Why would, and, and he was thinking that way even back then, like it's not just so much going in a room and creating songs for the sake of creating them. And in the beginning, you kind of do a lot of that and you can eventually get a little more targeted as you go along. But I think you just got to work with what's in front of you and say, what relationships do I have um, in front of me, even if it's not a, a major signed thing, like you, you kind of nowadays have to start like regional, like we were talking about on our last training, like start indie, start regional, start with smaller niches. And eventually the more of those you put out there into the world, some of them end up getting signed and some of those songs end up blowing up. And then their publishers hear their song and they see your name on it and they're like, oh, okay, who's, who's this Petri guy? Like he's on all these, these really cool indie songs. Like I want to, I want to talk to this guy. And then eventually they start putting you in the rooms with signed published writers who are in the rooms more often with signed artists who are working on um, 
records. And, and that's just kind of the name of the game in Nashville. It's different in every, uh, in every niche, but that, that really still is kind of it. Like if you want to work um, in particular, like in the Christian space or in the church space, it's really all about getting plugged into a local church community. And ultimately if, if songwriting for the church is something that's important to you, then being, being a part of a church that values that is, um, is going to be key. So however you can help and plug in and serve and, and be writing songs for your own church records that you put out. Um, you're going to meet a lot of other, you know, potential co-writers through that. And then maybe they're, maybe one of them will have a publishing deal and then they'll turn the song in to their publisher and then they'll hear it and they'll see your name on it. And it's just, it, it is, it, it's a long, um, it's a long process. It's, it takes a long time to break into it, but it's also just not getting discouraged and just being as strategic about things as you can. Like there's a reason why um, I'm just trying to think of a good example. Chris Tomlin records a certain type of song, um, you know, thinking in terms of if, if I was going into a co-write with him or if I was like pitching a song to him, what's the type of thing that he usually has success with? Like what kind of song does he have success with success with? Well, over the course of his career, it's been more so the mid tempos. It's been more of the um, 70 BPM, 90 BPM worship stuff, some six, eight stuff here and there. He's done really well with um, he's had a few up-tempo things, but none of them have really done super well for him. So that's where like, if I'm thinking in terms of Chris Tomlin, I want to be strategic even in terms of my tempos and my types of songs that I write. They're very vertical lyrics. Like they're very simple, singable, vertical melodies that have a certain shape, like even thinking in terms of what's the vocal range, right? Um, what type of instrumentation to use on the demo? Um, okay. He likes acoustic guitar. He likes the stuff that sounds pretty organic. So I'm probably not going to do like tons and tons of programming. Right. Um, so it's just doing a lot of homework on like, what, what is the goal? What is the target and thinking very strategic and, and thinking in terms of like, okay, well, who could I invite in the room that, that might be a strategic advantage as well? Like, um, on this writing retreat and I can, I can speak to this cause I'm, I'm kind of like, it's been a fun transition for me. I, I, for, for the longest time for like 10 years, pretty exclusively was doing Christian music and worship music and CCM. And, um, I still do some of that. I still love it. I still work, love working with for King country and casting crowns and Colton Dixon and a handful of, uh, skillet, a handful of Christian artists, but largely over the last few years, I've kind of transitioned over into the country market. And it's, it's, it's taught me a lot of things, all over again that man it really like the work that i did in christian like it helps with with things but you still kind of have to start all over again in terms of it's it's a whole different set of relationships it's a whole different set of um you know people and gatekeepers and people that that really don't know what you did in your previous life right and so for me it's it's been a lot of thinking about those things of strategically who should i be in the rooms with that might then turn up in, like, it may not be something huge in the moment. Like they may have never had a number one, or they may have never had a huge thing, but they're, they're, you know, working with this other writer that I want to get into. And if I do a bunch with them, then maybe that other writer will hear it and they'll, you know, invite me into it. Like there, there, there was a great example of that last week where I was writing with like a guy, he's a newer writer, but it's amazing. And is signed through a publisher that I just love in the, 
country space. And it wasn't that this writer is like uber successful and has had like a huge string of hits. He's, I mean, he's been in town doing this for 10 years now. Still hasn't had his first number one yet. He's going to, like, he's amazing. But it's thinking strategically like, okay, so he's connected with this person. So it's just doing a little bit of homework and like um, strategic networking um, and just not getting discouraged with just building up what we call song mountain. Like we all have that. We all have song mountain. It's, it's those uh, Stacy Wilbur calls it the uncut gems, right? Like in your thousand song catalog, there are probably, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 songs in there that, that could be hits for somebody. And it's being okay with that and knowing that, Hey, every songwriter who takes this seriously has that song mountain and you just got to keep adding to it and keep building and just be as strategic as you can along the way. I know that was a really long circuitous answer, but was that, is that helpful at all? Uh, Super helpful. And I'm glad that you tied it to demoing too, because I feared that I you know, kind of went beside the subject here. But so again, to sum it up, I just really felt like uh, pick the target as in an artist that you would write the song for. And then it's a snowball effect of relationships, co-writing, uh, honing your craft in so it's a little ball that you keep rolling and snow keeps packing on it and uh, you have a target in mind where it should go that's right yeah it, 100% and and not even so much target as an artist I mean you could you can start broader than that as far as what's my target in terms of my lane like my genre who, like do I love um, worship music okay well who are the yeah. people who are doing amazing stuff in worship and how can I get involved with what they're doing? How can I start right. serving with what they're doing? And so it is starting with that specificity and also to, yeah, to tie it back into demos, like what are the types of instrumentation? What's the sonic footprint? What is, what does it need to feel like? What are the tempos? What does it need to sound like? So that's a lot of what we're thinking. We want to think about in demo production too. Thanks, man. For sure. And another thing, just to throw out there, this is this is a little bit of a um, uh, a gold nugget uh, extra. <laughs> this one's this one's for free. Um, sometimes in country music, like people have a weird thing where if they know it's another artist singing a song, they hear it and they're like, okay, well, why did that artist not cut it? Like, this is mean. Does that mean that song's not good enough for them? So oftentimes, we'll go hire a demo singer to re-sing a song that another artist wrote, but they didn't record. So then we can actually have something separate to pitch where it's like a voice that's really good, but it's not like a known voice. And so when they hear it in a song meeting, they're like, oh, this is just like some underground indie thing that hadn't been discovered yet. But like, man, I'm the per first person to hear it. Like, that's kind of what you want. You don't want to have like uh, a song that somebody felt like was passed on when you go to pitch it. So going and re-recording a vocal can be a kind of a secret little trick as well, too. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Made It in Music podcast. In addition to this episode, we also recorded a Q&A session where some of the songwriters in our Song Chasers community were able to ask their own questions. We'll release that episode shortly after this one. Make sure to check out other episodes of the Made It in Music podcast. We have well over 100 interviews with some of the top music industry pros, many here in Nashville and many from all over the world. Subscribe to make sure that you automatically get future episodes and leave us a review if you loved it. It would really help us out. Or send an email to support at fullcirclemusic.com if you have ideas for how we can improve the show. 
you would like to become a Song Chasers member and attend these training sessions live, head over to joinsongchasers.com to learn more. You also get additional exclusive trainings from Seth Mosley. You get our Track Suite Pro software. You get song reviews from me and my team. And you get access to a custom social media network we created exclusively for songwriters and musicians. There's nothing else like it on the internet. Go to joinsongchasers.com to learn how to join and check out madeitmusic.com for more content and episodes from this podcast. See you in the next episode.